This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to tune in today. Hey, if you're a new listener, let me remind you that we have a website that is literally loaded with free resources for you to take advantage of in order to educate yourself in today's volatile economic and investing environment. The website is retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. And while you're on the website, you can subscribe to our free weekly Portfolio Watch newsletter where we give you our view as to what's going on in the economy and the markets. You know, we like to educate on this program, and we're entering a period of time that we believe is going to be very difficult uh, to be able to reach your financial goals if you do things the traditional way. So a couple things I want to talk about in this segment, a couple principles, if you will. The first principle is to think for yourself. You know, if you stop and think about printing trillions of dollars out of thin air, which is the monetary policy that the Federal Reserve and now the U.S. Treasury after the CARES Act is pursuing, you have to think that logically speaking, that cannot go on forever. In fact, I often quote the late economist Herbert Stein, who had a very profound economic statement. He said, if something cannot go on forever, it will stop. Profound, isn't it? Well, money printing fits into that category. So one of the things you have to think about is, what are you doing to protect yourself from what will will be an, an inevitable outcome? Maybe not imminent, maybe imminent. But what are you doing to protect yourself from an inevitable outcome? And don't rely on someone else to make these decisions for you. Let me give you another principle that I have learned through the years, and that is no one cares as much about your money as you do. No one cares as much about your money as you do, so educate yourself. You've worked hard for the money. You've saved the money. Make sure that you educate yourself and you think for yourself so you can do what's best for you. Now, there is a second principle, and that is that the herd is usually wrong. The crowd is usually wrong. In fact, there have been many, many studies done that when market sentiment is overly bullish, we're ready for a correction or a decline in prices. The same is true at the other end of price movements. When markets are overly bearish, often that's the turning point and we see a rally. Now, the whole principle that the crowd is usually wrong also applies to analysts. And to make my point in this segment, I want to give you a bit of background going back to the late 20s and early 30s, which was the onset of the Great Depression, actually, to be accurate, the late 20s was the end of the boom, and the early 30s was the beginning of the Great Depression. And I'd like to share with you what some analysts of the day were saying. Now, when you take a look at what was going on in the 20s that led up to the Roaring 20s, 
The Federal Reserve, which is the nation's central bank, it's a group of private bankers that set U.S. monetary policy. The Federal Reserve was given control of monetary policy in 1913. It was in December of 1913 that President Woodrow Wilson signed a law that gave private bankers control of U.S. monetary policy. Seems like right before the Christmas holiday is when a lot of things happen in Washington that the politicians may not want you to know about. This was no exception. Well, one of the first things that the Federal Reserve did was reduce the backing of the U.S. dollar by gold. See, up to that point, the dollar was backed 100% by gold, and the Federal Reserve reduced the backing of the U.S. dollar by gold to 40%. Now, for those of you born in the era of flashcards, you know that if you reduce the backing of the dollar by gold from 100% to 40%, that means you expand the money supply by 250%. You create all this money, and you get... A bubble. That's what the Fed did under the leadership then of the Fed chair, Benjamin Strong. Now, that's what the Fed is doing now, except on a more extreme level under the leadership of Jerome Powell. Well, in 1927, as the boom was in full force, a guy by the name of John Maynard Keynes That name, if you've been a long-time listener, should ring a bell because John Maynard Keynes is the father of Keynesian economics. And it's the school of economics that most central bankers follow today. And the premise of this school of economics is that when the economy slows, the government spends to make up the slack. Well, Mr. Keynes in 1927 said this, quote, we will not have any more crashes in our lifetime. Here's a guy that two years before the stock market crashed in October of 1929 said, we will not have any more crashes in our lifetime. And yet many, if not most modern day economists subscribe to the theories and policies of Mr. Keynes. Seems to me that statement should discredit him. Now, another statement was made in 1928 by E.H.H. Simmons, who was president of the New York Stock Exchange at the time. Here's what the president of the New York Stock Exchange had to say in 1928. I cannot help but raise a dissenting voice to statements that we're living in a fool's paradise and that prosperity in this country must necessarily diminish and recede in the near future. He said, I don't agree with the fact that this prosperity has to diminish and recede. I think it can keep going perpetually. So here we have a noted economist and the president of the New York Stock Exchange who were both dead wrong. Now, Myron Forbes, who was president of the Pierce Arrow Motor Car Company in 1928, said, 
There will be no interruption of our permanent prosperity. Here's a business leader, incidentally, whose car company did not uh, survive the Depression. Now, I want to give you a few more examples in the time I have left. However, if you've not yet gotten our revenue sourcing book, it's a book that I wrote, uh, and the subtitle is A Retirement Planning Strategy for the Post-Pandemic Economy. I offered this book for free last week. I'm going to offer it again this week for free. If you didn't get a copy, go to revenuesourcingbook.com. Revenuesourcingbook.com, I'd be glad to send you a copy as well as our latest uh, report information on where the economy is headed. So that's revenuesourcingbook.com. Now, Irving Fisher, who's often quoted about the time of the stock market crash, said this in September of 1929, a little over a month before the stock market crashed. He said there may be a recession in stock prices, but not anything in the nature of a crash. Mr. Fisher held a Ph.D. in economics. About a month later, on October 17, 1929, Mr. Fisher made another quote that is now often repeated. He said stock prices have reached what looks like a permanently high plateau, I do not feel there will be soon, if ever, a 50 or 60 point break from present levels, such as bears have predicted. I expect to see the stock market a good deal higher within a few months. Obviously, history tells us that Mr. Fisher was also dead wrong. Here's my point we have a number of business leaders. We have a Ph.D. in economics. We have the chair of the Federal Reserve all saying that we can't have a crash. We're going to have permanent prosperity. The stock market will keep going up forever. Not unlike what we were hearing not that long ago. October 25, 1929. Goodbody and Company, one of the most respected stock analyst companies in the country, in its in their market letter, which was printed an an excerpt rather was printed in the New York Times, said this: "We feel that fundamentally Wall Street is sound, and that for people who can afford to pay for them outright, good stocks are cheap at these prices." Again, turned out to be dead wrong, which brings me back. To my point today. Think for yourself, educate yourself, and remember that nobody cares as much about your money as you do. Go to the website revenuesourcingbook.com. I'll be glad to send you a free book to help educate yourself, and I'll be back after these words with my special guest this week, Mr. John Williams of Shadow Stats. Hang in there. I'll be back after these words. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I have the dis- Distinct pleasure of chatting once again today with Mr. John Williams. Uh, if you've been a longtime listener to the program, you'll recognize John as a returning guest. I chatted with him in March of this year, and I wanted to get him back to get his take on the developments. And uh, his website is shadowstats.com. I would encourage you to check it out, shadowstats.com. And John, welcome back to the program. 
Thank you for having me, Dennis. So, John, last time you were on, you had a rather ominous forecast. You were forecasting a hyperinflationary depression. Has anything happened since we last talked to make you change your mind or look at things differently? Uh, well, we've had a uh, an economic collapse uh, triggered by the pandemic shutdown, which has uh, moved my forecast of a hyperinflationary Great Depression pretty much to the fore. I think that's uh, we're, we're coming into it uh, pretty quickly. We certainly have the uh, the Great Depression in hand, and with what the Fed is doing in printing money to infinity to support the system any way they can and what the federal government is doing in terms of its uh, uh, uncontained uh, deficit spending uh, you know, forget the budget deficit we don't have to worry about it uh, you, you have the, the, the two entities uh, driving the financial system in the United States uh, in a circumstance where they're doing things they would not normally do but they don't have any choice. They're they're uh, afraid of the alternative that they they don't act. They can't afford to have a systemic collapse. But effectively, that's what they've had, and their actions, although may buy some time, that they're pushing us in in a direction where we're going to have a very severe inflation problem, along with uh, ongoing economic uh, turmoil here. Um, consider what well, what we're seeing here is not a regular recession. You have a recession. Normally, that's because uh, people's income uh, started to fall off, or uh, something's beginning to slow down people's uh, demand for goods and services, and the economy slows down, and you, and, and you and then go into recession where you have uh, two quarters of uh, contraction. What happened here was with the onset of the uh, coronavirus pandemic, the government shut down the economy. And when I say shut down, I mean you just literally slammed it as hard as you possibly could. We've never seen anything like this, and, and it really shouldn't be called a recession. Terms like recession and depression are more, more normally tied to uh, the usual cycles of business activity. This is this is an extraneous factor, uh, but it has formally been called a uh, recession. It's going to be called a Great Depression, I'm sure, by the time we finish here. What happened was the economy was already slowing down into uh, into the, uh, the the virus problem in the, in the first quarter. Uh, you look at uh, retail sales, for example, net of inflation in the fourth quarter. And this the fourth quarter. Keep in mind that's the happy uh, holiday shopping season. That actually contracted. The retail sales contracted uh, for the fourth quarter, quarter to quarter. Um, coming into the first quarter. Um, the economy was still slowing, but it, the, the GDP would have been positive the way it was going. But the uh, the third month in the quarter, March, is when the uh, pandemic, uh, the, the shutdown, actually took place, and that was enough to pull the uh, first quarter GDP down by five uh, percent annualized pace. That was the worst hit since the Great Recession. What we're facing now at the end of uh, July will be the uh, First estimate on the second quarter GDP. I'm looking for a quarter-to-quarter -quarter contraction of uh, order of magnitude 50%. That's an annualized rate. Uh, never had anything like that. Uh, the consensus is uh, around 35%. The consensus is right. We've still never had anything like that. 
putting this into perspective, uh, if I'm right on the 50%, the effect is that the second quarter GDP will take the economy back to where it was at the end of the Great Recession. All the economic recovery since the end of the Great Recession will have will, will have will have disappeared. This is not something that would continue quarter after quarter, where you're going to keep dropping like 50%. What we have here is the economy is shut down, and and the uh, second the second quarter is going to uh, affect show effectively the the full impact of that. So third and fourth quarter, uh, they they might be uh, somewhat lower, but uh, the big hit is the is the second quarter, and if uh, the reopening of the economy works uh, well. You could actually see the economy picking up a little bit in the uh, third and fourth quarters, and of course that, that would be positive quarter-to-quarter -quarter growth. Uh, I don't think it's going to work quite as well as uh, being hyped and hoped for, uh, because uh, we're seeing some signs that the, uh, the the reopening has not gone quite as well as as planned. I'm, I happen to live in California, native of uh, beautiful New Jersey, but uh, <laughs> out, out here it is. Uh, they, they just shut us down again, uh, shutting down all the restaurants and and such in the state because of the the problems. It's 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 a, it's a circumstance that's much worse on the economy um, th than the hype has been. But consider the first wave of shutdown: the number of people employed, the number of small businesses that were shut down, number of small businesses that have been forced been forced out of business. Um, it is uh, it's it, it's it's just an, an unprecedented now. The government has stepped in with its stimulus, and they're spending anything they need to spend, and they're arguing over some elements of it now, but you can be sure coming into the election you're going to have as much stimulus as either side can, can produce. At the same time, uh, the Federal Reserve has opened its spigots and is creating as much money as possible. Uh, we, we've never seen anything like this, along with the... Uh, uh, the, the opening of the money supply spigots, uh, the Fed uh, removed uh, reserve requirements for banks. That's, uh, that's unheard of. Reserve requirements at banks, keep in mind banks traditionally uh, uh, have people deposit money with them, and with that, based on that, the deposits and the cash they have there, then they make loans out into the business community and individuals. Uh, but the reserve requirement is money they have to hold aside in case a big loan goes bad or loans go bad, um, it keeps them from, from going under. The fact that the Fed took the unprecedented move of eliminating all reserve requirements tells you that the Fed is looking to create, indeed, whatever is needed here. They're not going to let any banks fail. They'll, ju they'll, they'll just print the money. So, John, let me ask you a question, if I could. Um, when when you made your hyperinflationary depression prediction originally, if I'm not mistaken, that was 15 years ago or so, uh, did you ever in your wildest imagination think that um, it would accelerate this quickly? Uh, no. Uh, this was uh, this is an extraordinary circumstance. I, I saw it getting, uh, let me put it this way, when I made, I, back in, I think it was back in 2004, I, I, I predicted that we'd see a hyperinflation in the 2018-2019 time frame. And that was just because the, um, the the government's spending had gotten so far out of control. What what, it, what happened, what, what caused me to uh, look at that, was the government, uh, Treasury publishes uh, annual financial statements, and they give you an honest assessment, and they tell you how much they really need to cover things going forward. 
Well, back then, uh, in, in the, the 2004 statement that came out in 2005, uh, the unfunded liabilities of the United States doubled. Uh, it was already beyond levels that were sustainable, but they, they doubled because what the uh, administration had done at that point was that it expanded uh, Medicare significantly. Well, what's, what's happened now, we're seeing, uh, we're, we're seeing doubling of, uh, probably the, more than doubling of what's uh, normally happening here. The, by the uh, end of September, which is a fiscal year, you're going to see a level of uh, federal debt that is clearly not sustainable by the GDP. Um, that's a point where people start to run from the dollar, and you, ha you end up with a hyperinflation, a hyperinflationary collapse. Uh, from the standpoint of the Fed, they have opened up the spigots on the money supply creation. Right now, year-to-year -year change in M1, which is the narrowest cash measure, year-to-year uh, -year change here is 35%. Uh, uh, We've never seen anything like that. 25% uh, to 30% with the broader measures, uh, M2 and the M M M3 measure. Now, you go back a couple of uh, uh, Fed chairmen. Uh, Alan Greenspan said, oh, you know, there's no... No risk of the uh, U.S. ever defaulting because we can always uh, print whatever money we need to pay off the debt. Uh, ben Bernanke said, look, don't worry about our not having adequate inflation or having deflation. We can always create whatever inflation we need by printing money. That was back in the time of the banking crisis. Uh, Janet Yellen said effectively the same thing. Um, don't worry about our not being able to generate inflation. All we have to do is print money. And now you have uh, uh, Mr. Powell in there, Fed Chairman uh, Jerome Powell, and uh, he's printing the money, but he's not talking about inflation. Uh, that's the, 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 we've never seen money creation of this order of magnitude. This is this is uh, almost an end game. They don't know what to do. They're trying to hold the system together the way I read it. The effect will be you're going to see a very sharp spike in inflation uh, and. In that type of, type of an environment, your, your money becomes worthless in a hyperinflation, and your protection against that in, in a, is simply holding physical gold and silver. Uh, I, I've been looking at the situation for a long time, and uh, one thing, uh, one thing that got me going off in a different direction than most economists was I didn't like what the government was doing to its headline reporting because it was taking key numbers that affect the average guy, such as inflation, and they were under made moves to understate it. Um, unemployment. They they, uh, they they also took action to understate that, uh, which helped them politically. Uh, but I always found the average guy never quite buys the government's numbers. The average person can tell you whether or not he thinks inflation is running along at effectively zero, which they're saying at the moment, or if they're employed or unemployed. They know that as they don't need the government to to uh, uh, to, to tell them. <laughs> yeah, John, our guest today is Mr. John Williams. Uh, his website is shadowstats.com. Uh, I'd encourage you to check it out. The website, again, is shadowstats.com. I will continue my conversation with Mr. John Williams when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. I'm Dennis Tuberg, and you are listening to RLA Radio. I have the pleasure today of chatting with Mr. John Williams. John's website is shadowstats.com. 
I have been a big fan of John's work for a long time, and I'd encourage you to check out his work as well. The website, again, is shadowstats.com. And, uh, John, a rather scary last segment. You were talking about the fact that we're headed for a hyperinflationary depression, in your view. And, you know, our listeners hear the word hyperinflation, but can you relate to them what that might mean as far as just how much will prices go up on an annualized basis, if that's somewhere that you feel comfortable going? Sure. Um, let me put it this way. Let, let me give a couple of examples of hyperinflation. Um, one of the classic ones is uh, the Weimar Republic of Germany after World War uh, One, when the French basically took Germany's gold and they ended up printing money. Uh, the, the, the currency becomes absolutely worthless. In, 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 in the process. Oh, in the process, there were a number of stories, and I knew people who actually uh, uh, lived lived through it. Um, a typical example might be, uh, and this is as it was unfolding, uh, you'd go out to dinner, uh, or I would say you went out to lunch, you'd negotiate the price of your lunch before you sat down because the price of lunch would be greater when you uh, got up. Um, you could have a nice dinner and order a an expensive bottle of wine with dinner, and the next morning the empty scrap glass in that bottle would be worth more than the bottle was worth the night before filled with fine wine. I mean, that's that's how rapidly it was un unfolding, and uh, effectively the currency, as you know it, becomes worthless. And we've actually had a slow hyperinflation here, uh, but nobody nobody really picks up on it. But let me give you a couple of quick numbers. And a lot of this is tied to the nature of the currency. And I'm going to argue here that our basic currency and what gives you uh, a, a, a solid protection in terms of the purchasing power of today's dollar or any dollar, any time, uh, is, is physical gold. Um, if you look at um, our history with gold, um, we run some kind of a gold standard up to the point that Richard Nixon abandoned uh, the, the gold backing of the dollar in 1971. And if you look back over literally the centuries, and I've got I've looked at prices back to uh, New Amsterdam, uh, now uh, New York City, back in the 1600s, generally a pretty good correlation there between the level of gold prices and, and um, uh, headline inflation. When Nixon, Nixon abandoned the uh, backing of, of gold for the dollar, um, Gold prices started to jump, and so did inflation, as uh, measured by the federal government. And then by the early 1980s, uh, it was getting very uncomfortable for the federal government. So what they did, I'm talking now in terms of the inflation, they didn't have to worry about the gold price. They, they were just worried about inflation because uh, you had cost of living adjustments in Social Security and such. And what they did was they introduced a number of uh, adjustment factors to keep the reporting of inflation down. One thing they did, uh, uh, the, the, the first big thing they did was they changed the way they calculated the cost of housing. Uh, it used to be the cost of housing would include the cost of buying a new house. Not too crazy a concept, but it was expensive from an inflation standpoint. So what they did was they invented the concept of homeowner's equivalent rent. What a homeowner would pay himself in rent to rent his own house and then the inflation calculation was actually how much the homeowner would raise the rent on himself month to month to rent his own house. Now, that was a completely phony number, all government uh, manipulation, 
and the effect was it knocked something like 1.4 percentage points off the annual inflation rate year after year. Uh, I mean, that, that builds up rather rapidly. There, there, there were later things that uh, happened in the 70s where uh, the, the whole concept of, of measuring inflation uh, is uh, the cost of maintaining a constant standard of living so that you can you can you, you want to be able to live at least as well as you did the year before and if you can improve upon it all the better but how do you, how do you measure that well uh Alan Greenspan decided that that really should be changed because um meaning a, a, a constant standard of living implied a uh, consistent quality and he said well you know people people will um you know if steak gets uh, more expensive uh Practically, they'll go out and they'll, they'll buy more chicken, or they'll buy hamburger instead, and so they effectively live within their means. Well, that 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 is true in terms of behavior, but it's not true when you're trying to look at your cost of living of maintaining a constant standard of living, because if you're substituting uh, chicken for steak, and it's my own just my own preference, uh, if I've got to buy chicken instead of steak, I don't view that as being the the, the same standard of living. Uh, so the effect there overall was, and, and I looked at it and I said, this is nonsense. I'm going to, where I'd been doing normal economic forecasting, I'd, I started looking at some alternative approaches to what they were doing here. And I, I, I just modeled the, uh, uh, the CPI the way they used to report it. And the difference is about seven percentage points per year. Right now, the headline inflation is effectively zero uh, because of the uh, oil price war back in January. I'll contend that's really closer to seven percent. Uh, that, that's that's the way it would be if, if it had been um, re reported uh, the, the way it used to be. Now the difference this makes is that uh, where the headline inflation since Nixon uh, since Nixon uh, uh, abandoned gold since 1971 up to date is about 560 percent. That's since 1970. Um, if you look at my measure, um, we're up um, 4,250 percent. That's how much. That's what people have lost in their purchasing power. But guess what? If you look at the price of gold, guess how much that went up over the same time frame? 4,314 percent. Effectively, the same level as my. Uh, is where inflation would be had they not fooled around with it. Gold measures inflation. It it it, it, it tells you where inflation is, and and it leads inflation in in the type of circumstance that we have now. So that where you're seeing gold prices rise and silver does uh, too, although silver gets uh, played with a lot more uh, from uh, <clears throat> industrial and uh, a political standpoint sometimes. Uh, gold has maintained the purchasing power of whatever currency you're in over time. You can buy a loaf of bread today for the same amount of gold that you could in ancient Rome. Uh, I, I was addressing a monetary conference uh, probably a decade ago, and one fellow there said, well, you know, my my mother uh, used to love to, she loved to go to the Broadway uh, shows and was complaining that, you know, back in the 20s she could get a, uh, a third row center seat on Broadway for five dollars. She says it's just out of control today. And I said, Oh, she had that same five dollar gold coin 
uh, in hand today, she could still get that same um, third row center seat. Gold has been the traditional currency throughout uh, modern human history. So, John, let me ask you a quick question here. Where do you see gold going in nominal terms? Is that a fair question? And uh, well, in, in nominal terms, it'll it'll uh, it'll keep up it'll keep up with inflation. I mean, if inflation rises five thousand percent, it'll go up five thousand percent. It's it's you're not you're not making money on it per se, but you're retaining the purchasing power of what you have. And if what if if your money's being debased. You're not losing. You, you you can maintain the purchasing power of what you have. People say, "Oh boy, look at the money I made in gold." Hey, guess what? That's the money that you lost with what's happening with inflation. Same thing, but you're, you've stayed even. It's it, it's a way of preserving your wealth. And in difficult times that you should have here, I can assure you, if you can preserve your wealth and you don't lose it because of all the crazy things that are happening with the shutdown of the economy and the the, uh, the government spending and what the Fed's doing. You're doing very well. So, John, where ultimately uh, do you think um, this economy ends up? Do you see a V-shaped recovery like so many people are predicting? I think you alluded that, that you didn't, but do we ever get back to where we were? Uh, I, I imagine we will, but it's going to be a while, and it's you're probably going to have uh, – if I'm right on what's happening um, – if you go through a hyperinflationary economic collapse, you're going to have to have some kind of a reset in the economy. I can't tell you exactly how that's going to happen. Uh, but if, if you've been able to preserve the purchasing power of your assets, at least you, you, you have some money to get by with and you can invest in and start a new business or whatever. I um, can't tell you how it's going to come out politically, but I'm sure there's going to be significant political change that will come out of it, probably significant uh, economic change or if not uh, you know people may be looking at other areas of the world to to invest in i it's it's an extraordinary circumstance uh all i'm looking at is for something that here's a sort of a a life buoy uh it it'll preserve the purchasing power of your assets it has over time and you have to have to have some trust in that i mean you'll see a lot of variation and variability here and the central bank the central banks, uh, the Fed, for example, uh, and, and this is true of most central banks, hate uh, seeing gold prices rise because that's a signal that they're not doing their job. Um, and you will see interventions. Um, they'll knock uh, the price of gold down. And they, depending upon how the markets see, well, but we're, we're looking at now uh, with what the Fed is doing, it's going to be very difficult for them to avoid a major inflation problem. They know it. They're just buying time. And as you see the inflation rising, what you're going to see increasingly, I think, is the price of gold uh, anticipating it. It tends, it tends to lead the inflation. Now, the Fed can intervene at any time. It'll knock it down. The point is to hold the gold. Uh, it, it will. Your, your purchasing power will survive over time. Now, people ask me about the real estate. What about my house? Well, guess what? A house has got the term real in it because it is actually – a good physical asset, and it will, um, as you go through all these crazy inflation times, it will generally retain its value. The only problem is that uh, you have to be able to hold it because uh, it's uh, 
you may have periods where it's not liquid. Uh, you may have, you certainly can't move it, uh, but it, it, it will, over time, that's a, it's a real asset like gold and silver. It is, is something that, you, that, that will re retain its value. Um, you get into things that are uh, denominated in U.S. dollars. Watch the dollar. That's a, that's a, we're beginning to see a shift there. Um, change in the trade weight of dollar as the Fed publishes it just turned negative year to year. And when the dollar turns negative, that means that all the imported goods on average, I'm going to get the trade weight, it means that's an average on a, on a trade basis. Uh, effectively, it means foreign goods are going up in, in price in dollar terms. Uh, the you have a you'll have a period of here a period of time here where you tend to see uh, prices beginning to move higher. But as you see the price of gold accelerate, and again there may be intervention to knock it down. Um, just you know, have have some portion of your assets in gold that will carry through and maintain their value for you over time because that that is what can save you. Well, John, I sure appreciate you joining us today. We're going to have to leave it there. The clock tells me we will anyway. I've been chatting today with Mr. John Williams. His website is shadowstats.com. I would encourage you to check it out. You'll get uh, accurate economic data there. The website, again, is shadowstats.com. John, thanks so much for joining us today, and uh, love to have you back down the road. Well, th thank you very much for having me, having me Dennis. Uh, always enjoy talking with you. We will return after these words. I'm Dennis Tuberg, and this is RLA Radio. Glad you're along today. Thanks to Mr. John Williams for joining us on today's program. You know, as I mentioned in the first segment, we are here to educate, and to that end, if you're just joining us, I'm making available the number one best-selling book, Revenue Sourcing, the Retirement Planning Strategy for the Post-Pandemic Economy. I'm making that available to the listeners today for free, all you have to do if you'd like to get it is go to revenuesourcingbook.com and we will make it available here for one more week. So we have long talked about the fact that given that we have debt levels at extreme levels, given that money creation is taking place at unprecedented rates, we will have to see a deflationary or inflationary outcome. Now, Mr. John Williams, uh, whom I just interviewed, suggests that we will have a hyperinflationary outcome. He believes that's because the money printing will continue. And as he said, they really don't have any choice. Doug Casey, who is a past guest on the program as well, had this to say this past week. He said, at some point, the economy is no longer controlled by individual citizens in the marketplace, but by government planners who find they have only one of two alternatives. One, stop stimulating, stop printing, and permit a full-scale credit collapse, which is the deflationary outcome, or continue stimulating until the dollar loses all value and society breaks down. Depending on which they choose, we will have a depression characterized by deflation or by hyperinflation. Now, Casey points out that before 1913, which was before the income tax and before the Federal Reserve, maybe we'll just call that the good old days, 
the dollar was pegged to gold at about $20 an ounce. So it was out of the question that money would be created. And depressions did occur prior to 1913. And when they did, depositors acted quickly to collect their money. They had no illusion the government would come in and pump up the banks or bail out the banks. Prior to 1913, once the banks ran out of gold, the bank accounts were worthless. Well, up until 19, the 1930s, depressions or recessions, whatever term you want to use, were sharp but very brief. In fact, there was an 18-month depression after World War I from ni- during 1920 and 1921. Now, the 1929 depression was deeper and more widespread than anything before because the Federal Reserve allowed banks to maintain far smaller reserves than ever before. And the smaller the reserve that a bank holds, the more money that can be created. Incidentally, as a side note, banks are now operating under a 0% reserve rule. That's since March 26 of this year. Now, the Federal Reserve backed the U.S. dollar with bank IOUs instead of gold. So now there is almost an unlimited, and today it is an unlimited amount of money that can be created. Now, governments have used this money creation, almost unlimited money creation, to forestall deflation However, every time they do, they're kicking the can down the road a bit. And if they were to stop money creation now, we would see a credit collapse. And once we see credit collapse, we see banks go away, not unlike what we saw in 2007, 2008. It affects securities. It affects everything. So what does the government do? What does the Federal Reserve do? They simply create more money. Well, hyperinflation comes, as we talked about with Mr. Williams today, when the authorities try to boost the economy out of a trough, and if they expand the money supply too quickly, it might just trigger the trillions of dollars owned by foreigners to be repatriated, to come back here to the United States as they exchange them for real wealth or tangible assets. That's what Mr. Williams suggests will likely happen. Now, one last thing that I want to close with today. When you look at the bottom of each past cycle and look at the conditions, there's three conditions that existed. These three conditions have to be in place for an economic recovery. Interest rates were high, so interest rates had a lot of room to fall. That stimulates the economy. Inflation was high, and the stock market was low. Those are good conditions for a recovery. However, we have exactly the opposite today. Stocks and bonds are already very high. Inflation is low based on current standards. At least it could go much higher. So we don't have conditions in place for a good recovery. Now, if you'd like to learn more, visit the website, retirementlifestyleadvocates.com, 
sign up for our weekly Portfolio Watch newsletter. Or uh, this last week, you can go to revenuesourcingbook.com and we'll send you a copy of the number one best-selling book, Revenue Sourcing. That's the show for this week. Hope you got something you can use. I'll be back again next week.